This is Alumni Allowed, a podcast by Graduate Center students for Graduate Center students. In each episode, we talk with a GC graduate about their career path, the ins and outs of their current position, and the career advice they have for students. This series is sponsored by the Graduate Center's Office of Career Planning and Professional Development. I'm Abby Turner, a PhD candidate in educational psychology at the Graduate Center. I work in our Office of Career Planning and Professional Development and interviewed Chris Miato about what it's like to be a teacher at an independent school. Chris got his Master's of Liberal Studies in Digital Humanities with a concentration in history from the Graduate Center. I'm here with Chris Miato on a call, and we're going to talk about his experience teaching in independent schools. We recently had an event at the Graduate Center uh, where we had a panel of alumni talk about their experiences teaching in independent schools. And though I invited Chris, he was unable to make it. So instead, we scheduled a phone call. So hi, Chris. Thanks for joining me. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> great. So why don't you start us off and tell us the different independent schools where you've been um, and what brought you to your teaching in independent schools? Sure. So I've, uh, I'm in my fifth year of teaching um, at an independent high school. And the first school that I was at is a school in, in Manhattan called Avenues. Um, and I was there for four years. And most recently, this, this current academic year, I, I moved up to a, another school in Connecticut called Greens Farms Academy. Um, both of them are pre-K to 12 independent schools serving about the same number of students, somewhere um, I guess Avenues has a little bit more. There's there's around 1,300 kids pre-K to 12, and Greens Farms is more like eight or 900, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And I think what brought me to independent schools, I mean, sort of generally big picture, is I, I went to an independent school and had a lot of teachers who shaped, you know, who I became and how I learned how to think and stuff at, at an early age. And so that was always a career that I, I wanted to be involved in teaching. And I, I got back into it after working in libraries and archives because I really wanted to be involved in that exchange of ideas and information that happens in the classroom. So you have your first master's in library science. And so that's when you were doing your library and archives work. Yeah. And then after you were at Avenues, you started your uh, master's of arts at Graduate Center in liberal studies with a concentration in digital humanities. Is that right? That's right. Um, uh, sort of. I, I started a history program at Hunter College the year before okay. I started teaching. Um, and so I was taking um, night classes up at Hunter a couple times a week and, and really loved it. And then started teaching at Avenues and continued my, my studies, but shifted down to the Graduate Center in part because I really wanted to work with um, certain faculty that were at the Graduate Center in the Digital Humanities program. And I also needed to be a little bit closer to, to the school I was teaching at, which was in Chelsea. Um, and so thankfully, the Graduate Center had an amazing program that I was able to transfer into um, and, and sort of resume all the things that I was really interested in studying there. Okay. Tell us a little bit about the hiring process um, of getting into your two schools. I know independent schools have kind of a unique hiring process. Yeah, th- they were um, very different. I mean, I think the the first thing is just that Schools want people who are passionate and really want to work with kids and also are, are really well versed in the material that they could be teaching. And so, you know, I, I think I cleared all of those 
hurdles in my interviews, but the, the hiring processes themselves are very different just because schools can be kind of chaotic places. <laughs> and so the, the the first school that I worked at, Avenue, I was almost like a, a, a leave replacement of sorts. They had a hole in their teaching staff over the summer. And my wife actually worked at the school. And I was in you know grad school at the time and was studying history and really wanted to teach history. And they had an opening for someone to come in and teach one section. And so I was able to make that work and to do some other stuff in, in the school and their libraries and everything to sort of make ends meet. Um, but I, I went in for a series of interviews in August, I think, the, the, the summer before I started and, you know, managed to, to, to land a job that way. And I think that happens at schools more often than, than you might think. People leave, people, you know, stuff comes up in everyone's lives, but opening day still has to happen in September. And so, you know, sometimes that's, that's how people get hired. So anyway, that was that was how I started there, and then obviously continued for another three years after that, and it was it was a really great experience. Um, getting hired at Greens Farms was completely opposite, um, you know, probably for a number of different reasons. But I started a job search through a couple different search agencies. Um, the hiring season kind of starts around December or January for independent schools, um, mm-hmm. and so often they they ask people to start sending out their resumes and stuff around around December or January, and then the jobs start to come online around January or February. And so I was working with a couple different search firms, and eventually the Greens Farms job sort of came online, and I went through, um, I think, two phone interviews with them that were each, you know, over an hour, and then... With the agency or the school? The schools themselves. Okay. Um, The the agencies, I think, I I, I probably talked to a couple times on the phone to sort of get accepted as their client. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I started interviewing with Greens Farms, I had a couple of different phone interviews with, um, heads of school and department heads and, and future colleagues, and then was invited to campus to teach and, and do a full day of interviews. I'm sure people on your panel a couple of weeks ago talked about this, but at independent schools, the, the hiring process sort of looks like eventually you get asked to school to do a demo lesson where you are probably teaching a class that you would be teaching the following year should you get hired. They just want to see sort of what your style is like and how you prepare and how you can reflect on the material that you're teaching. Um, so I did that and then I had a lot of interviews. I think I had, I don't know, something like eight or nine different separate interviews with different people or teams of people, which was a lot, but it was really amazing because it, it enabled me to get a real sense of what the school was all about. Great. And I'm guessing they were very interested in your digital humanities work. Are you using that a lot in your teaching now? Yeah, you know, I, I am. I'm, I'm coming back to, um, I mean, the history stuff is, is obviously always there because that's what I teach. But um, the, the research in the digital humanities pieces that I worked on a lot <clears throat> at CUNY and, and as, a, as a library science person are coming back a lot. Um, a couple examples, like I'm, one of the classes I'm, I'm co-teaching right now is um, thesis class in the global studies department that seniors are, are taking. And basically they're doing college level, like original research. Um, they're developing research questions and problems and writing, you know, thesis length papers and presenting them at the end of the year. And a couple of the students I'm working with, we're doing some, um, we're starting to explore the idea of doing like close reading and textual analysis, but through some like digital humanities programs. So things like buoyant, we're looking at some programs that, that are things that I used a couple of years ago, you know, on different projects with, with classmates and stuff. And so it's interesting to, to show them that these tools exist because 
otherwise the digital humanities stuff like never comes up in a high school setting unless you mm-hmm. unless you bring it there and then students are really you know can be sort of blown away at the possibilities of what they can do with traditional humanities stuff was that really attractive to your hiring committees that you had these like alternative ways of presenting information i think it was i i remember talking with them about this class in particular and how they felt like it could be applicable you know and i think schools right now are in a position where they're really looking to carve out you know, sort of niches for themselves in, in terms of what a 21st century school and classroom looks like and thinking about things like networked learning, like using different, you know, mapping software that I've used or different ways to, to analyze traditional, you know, humanities information, like I was saying a minute ago. I think that was sort of attractive to them. And, and hopefully I get to use more and more of it as, as time goes on. And so what classes do you currently teach at your school? So I teach I teach in two different departments at my current school. I teach in the history department and I teach in what we call the global studies department, which is sort of more like contemporary issues and international relations. And so in the history department, I teach a ninth grade foundations of world history class. And in the global studies department, I teach also in the ninth grade a class called Big Histories, which is sort of an adapted version of um, historian David Christian's like interdisciplinary science plus history plus anthropology course. That's really fun. And then I also co-teach with two other teachers, a senior class called Global Thesis. And at my school, kids have the option to graduate with like a specific concentration. And in order to fulfill that, the the final step for them as seniors, they want to choose this path is to spend a year writing a thesis of original research and then present it at the end of the year. So those are the, those are the three classes that I teach. So it sounds like you're able to really challenge them academically at a level that is satisfying to you too, because they're having original research projects. Yes, it is like upper college level work. Um, And they're, you know, sometimes they're kind of freaked out by it, but they're really working really hard and they're, they're super into it. Um, And the stuff that they're doing is incredible. And it keeps, you know, me and my colleagues on our toes every day because there are 17 research projects that, you know, we might've had some experience and background in some of them going into it, but definitely not all of them. And so we're learning with them. It's, it's amazing. Wow. That sounds, that yeah. sounds really exciting. Good. Okay. How about the environment where you work and namely like, what's it like uh, with your coworkers and yeah, is there a lot of opportunity for collaboration or in your experience? Yeah, there's a lot of collaboration um, in, in both the schools that I've worked in. It's really a rich area for, for working with and learning from your colleagues. So I would definitely mm-hmm. recommend anybody who's interested in collaborating to give independent schools a, a serious, you know, look in terms of working at. Collaborating in school usually takes the form of, you know, planning meetings where you, you take a look at the curriculum ahead and what the goals are you're trying to hit and what are the best ways to get there. And that's a really, really fun process. If you enjoy thinking about curriculum and also backwards planning and thinking about how students can really get the material, um, that mm-hmm. to me is, is really, really, really fun. And so, yeah, sitting down with colleagues who are super passionate and really smart and have, you know, see everything the way you do, but also have a different take on it is a, mm-hmm. is a really unique opportunity. And I don't know how often people get to do that in the, you know, wider professional world. And I don't know how much that ha- happens in college level teaching. And, you know, and that, that's not a criticism of what goes on in higher education. I just think it's a different beat. And so, you know, friends of mine who are junior professors at places like 
love what they do, but it's not always about sitting in a room and talking about how to teach a specific thing for two hours. And I love that sort of craft and process angle of everything. Hmm. And can you speak a little bit about what it's like mentoring these younger students and how that might differ from teaching college classes? Like what, what kind of qualities should you have or what should you really be passionate about if you're, if you're thinking about teaching in an independent school? I think that you have to be a good listener. You know, teenagers have hard lives <laughs> for so many reasons. Um, and I think we as a culture don't always get that. And it, and it seems to be that the, the, pressure, the pressure that they feel just seems to be increasing, I don't know, as the, year, as the years go on. And so mm-hmm. I think to be a mentor, you really, you really have to want to listen and be there for students and, and sort of hear them out and, and to hear what they need in terms of advice or guidance. And then, you know, be, be okay with offering that. And, and sometimes that means just saying, you know, go get them. And sometimes it means giving them a really specific roadmap about how to achieve something. And sometimes it means giving them a little bit of tough advice. But um, I think that they want mentorship, definitely. And independent schools typically offer that in a few different ways. You know, they have their classroom teachers. And then at my school, we have advisors, which, you know, advisory group is typically anywhere from seven to 10 kids where you meet in a sort of informal way, but you get to bond and sort of build a a trusting relationship that way. Um, We have typically deans or heads of grades. So kids are able to get support in a couple different ways. And so I think that's another um, appealing thing about working in independent schools is that there's enough support there and there are enough roles that people who want to support students growing um, can sort of find. And I also think that you know, other things that are probably not surprising to anybody who has ever worked in a school or maybe has a kid, you know, patience <laughs> and, you know, persistence, also just sort of joy. I, I don't know. I think you have to bring joy every day to, to teaching. Can you speak at all to the benefits of working at an independent school versus working in the public schools for the Department of Ed? Okay. Sure. I do have friends who, who work in or have worked in public schools and you know, my understanding is one of the, the great advantages and selling points of, of working in independent schools is the amount of autonomy that you get as a teacher in terms of planning curriculum and projects and field trips and guest speakers and just sort of everything. There's a tremendous amount of trust on the part of the administration and the departments to, you know, sort of say, okay, the course is generally going to move from, you know, A to Z, but how you do that and the readings that you choose and the activities that you plan and the assessments are by and large, up to you, which is amazing. I, I can't speak highly enough about that experience. And, and really, it means that you get to design courses and assignments that um, meet the kids where they are while also challenging them. Um, it also means that I am continuously learning every day, even if I'm teaching things that I've taught before. It means I can think constantly about how to do it better, what else I could bring in to add to the conversation. So that's a real, real terrific benefit and something that I've really enjoyed since I started teaching. So now I want to shift into kind of the the bonus benefits. <laughs> so like uh, sure. from our from our um, from our panel uh, two weeks ago, a lot of people, uh, well, all three of the panelists uh, talked about travel that uh, their school has kind of funded for them, whether it's chaperoning or even on their own for their own research. Can you speak to any of that? Have you gotten a chance to uh, travel with your school? Yes, I have. Um, I've traveled, um, I mean, all around New York City, for sure. Um, I don't know if that really counts as traveling. Mm-hmm. But um, the pr- professional development, I think, is something that independent schools are, yeah. are famously, famously supportive of. So I went to a week-long 
boot camp for learning how to run discussions a couple summers ago because uh, the, the way that I've been trained and that both of my schools operate in is the Harkness method of like student-led discussions. And so I, I've done a lot of training with that and gone to other professional development opportunities. Independent schools really want teachers to keep growing and learning and then to bring that back and share it with the community. So I think that's a real bonus. I'm not, I'm not sure how that stacks up compared to public schools, but and mm-hmm. just having been around around private independent schools, it's um, it's a real bonus. Have you have you gotten a chance to like chaperone a field trip, like an international field trip? Not yet. I hope to oh, okay. soon. I was I was supposed to go on a trip to Italy to to run an art history trip with a couple other teachers. Oh wow! But I got really sick, so I didn't go. Oh. Both schools that I've been lucky enough to work at, a- Avenues is sort of full name is Avenues the World School, and so they were they were seriously dedicated to that. And then Greens Farms um, has an entire department called Global Studies, and then also this sort of like umbrella ethos that sits on top of the school called the World Perspectives Program. And so they they do a ton of work with sending um, kids and faculty abroad, um, whether it's you know w- one or two week trips, um, service learning, or entire semesters or years you know abroad and off campus. So yeah, I would love to to talk to them more about that because I know it's a big part of you know what my current school is all about. Mm-hmm. Can you speak at all about the the benefits of teaching at school, meaning like uh, insurance? That's because a lot of our students might look at teaching at independent school as an alternative to kind of the adjuncting hustle that we all do at CUNY. And that does not offer uh, a lot of great benefits unless you teach a a certain course load. And so would you say it's a good alternative to get a steady job at an independent school? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, be- benefits at, at independent schools are terrific. Um, both schools Great. I've worked at are, yeah, they're they're really comprehensive. You know, in- insurance benefits and then also retirement benefits um, and mm-hmm. disability and parental leave and all of those sorts of things are are real. Um, Great. And, and definitely, definitely, is a is a check mark in the column for independent schools over adjuncting, I would say. Can you tell us about any of the search agencies you used and maybe name them if you recommend them? Absolutely. Yeah, there, there are two that I've worked with. Um, the, the search firm that helped me get my current job in Connecticut is called Educators Ally. They're um, in the New York area, and I think they really specialize in placing people in New York City and then the wider sort of tri-state metropolitan area. But I, I think they also do national placements. I could be mistaken on that. But the other search firm that I think a lot of people think of when they think about private school job searches is Carney Sando. They hold conferences in a couple locations in the country every year. And those are usually good places to go talk to potential employers and sort of get on the market. I've, I've done that in the past. I went to one in Boston a couple years ago, which was which is fun, kind of, you know, interesting. Um, and then basically the, the process is you, you would submit application materials like a, a resume and a statement of interest to these firms, and then they'll call you back and, and basically bring you on board. And then you start talking about your preferences, and you have a whole online portfolio that you can fill out and then use to sort of check in with other schools and things like that. So those are the two firms, and, and in particular, Educators Ally is a, is a great place great. to work with. Okay, good. That's good information to add. So do you have any advice for students at the Graduate Center, possibly getting their master's, maybe even some of our PhD students, actually, a lot of PhDs go into independent school teaching as well. Do you have any advice for the students on 
what they might be doing in school now to prepare or is there a way to get some experience? No, I, you know, I, I don't think, I, I don't know just because I, I did a slightly alternative task. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, but I think the, you know, something I've been thinking about with this conversation is just that um, I think teaching, teaching in schools um, requires so much genuine energy and interest and, and passion for the work that you find out quickly if, if you want to keep working in schools. And it's almost not something that you can necessarily prepare for. I, there's, there's a level of instinct and sort of like a, a, an aspect of it being a calling, I think. So I, I guess the advice I would give to people who are thinking about it is just ask yourself if you're, if you're really passionate about the stuff that you're learning and you want to share that with, with kids. And if you are interested in the holistic aspect of what it is to teach something. Those are like the first bars to clear. And then everything after that, I think, is all about the fit of a particular school. I was going to say, when you, when you were talking about benefits and, and things uh-huh. like that, I, part of me wanted to say, like, don't take this job for benefits. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, because the stakes are too high and it's, it's a demanding situation. I don't know. So it's not the right. same as just showing up some, somewhere and, you know, doing your thing for a couple hours and then leaving. It's really a... It's a real commitment, yeah. um, Yeah, it's a whole world, really. Got it. And in your experience with your two schools, were there opportunities for maybe substitute teaching that might give someone, you know, so so that they can build up experience to show either the search forms or the schools that they have experience, you know, working with teenagers? Some people, it's hard to get experience working with teenagers sometimes. Definitely, yeah. So I, I think every school does it a little bit differently, but some use agencies um, and some just have a, like a call list that they're, they sort of build over time. Mm. But substitute teaching gigs do, do show up, maternity leave, paternity leave, those, those kinds of things definitely come online. And that's a great way to get experience. I would also say tutoring, um, from mm. my experience, you know, I think that that's something that appeals to, to some folks on, on hiring committees in terms of like, if you have an advanced degree and you also have have logged a bunch of hours doing, you know, writing, tutoring or math or something like that. Like it, it could, it could be decisive in terms of the people you're talking to about a potential job. Mm-hmm. The thing that makes classes work in part is your demeanor as a teacher in the room and working with teenagers, like they, they pick up on everything and they, and this goes back to our, you know, at the beginning of the conversation talking about like mentors and guidance and things like that. But I don't know, my, my philosophy is to kind of be myself and to treat them you know, with, with a ton of respect and with a lot of, I don't know, uh, like, like equality. And so I, I think that that helps cultivate a, an atmosphere where we're all, you know, we sit around a, a big circular table and there's always going to be that imbalance where they look at me as an authority figure or someone who, who knows something who's trying to impart it to them. But the more that I can try to break that down and to make it a conversation, um, I think the better. And they, they pick up on that. And so that's, that's the thing that I'm able to take and use for the entire year to make sure that the classroom is a, is a good space for learning. You know, mm-hmm. um, if I walked in and were, you know, trying to sort of shout or say like, here's the one right answer, um, learn it and spit it back out on a test or something, they wouldn't want to be there. And then they would treat the class totally differently. And so I think you just have to be um, who you are and also be aware of what that is and how it's being received. Um, and again, that's like going back to the point about, you know, sort of like a no, a, a no phony zone or something like mm-hmm. um, 
the, the kids will expose that really quickly <laughs> um, if you have any doubts. So. And just to kind of learn about the logistics of how these kinds of jobs work, uh, do you mm -hmm. guys, do you sign, sign contracts at your schools uh, or yeah, do, do so, you go one every year? Yeah, I, I believe it's every year. Um, I, I only say that because so my, my first school, yes, it was every year. And I, I think it's the same in Greens Farms. I should know that, but I think it's a year, a year to year contract. Okay. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Um, no, I mean, we, we had talked about this a little bit before, but, you know, I think I'm the, I'm the teacher first and foremost because I had great teachers um, mm -hmm. throughout my life at various stages of, of being in school. And um, I obviously went back to school twice after college because I loved it mm -hmm. so much. And that, that very much continued for me at CUNY, at, at Hunter and CUNY Grad Center. Uh, I was really, really psyched about working with the professors that I got to, to hang out with. And I'm not sure that that always happens in graduate school, just sort of informally talking to friends and colleagues and stuff. Sometimes it feels a little more transactional, but I really got the sense that um, the professors there really, really cared about what we were up to. And that was, that was really across the board. And I was really happy about that. And it gave me so much energy then as a teacher, because I was, I was teaching and also going to school at night. And so just feeling what it was like on the sort of, um, you know, on, on both sides of the desk, so to speak. And then mm -hmm. having that be a really positive experience just kept feeding into my, you know, my, my teaching practices and also the effort that I put out in, in grad school. And so, um, yeah, I was, I was really happy to go through CUNY for, for grad school. Okay, great. Well, I want to thank you for all the information you've shared with us and telling us about your personal experience. So we'll say goodbye and thank you so much for helping. No, thank you. This is great. Thanks again to Chris for telling us about his experiences with teaching in independent schools. This semester, we had a career panel where GC alumni spoke to students about their individual career paths that led to teaching in independent schools. If you wanted to attend one of these types of career events at the Graduate Center, you should check out our calendar of events on our website at cuny.is careerplan. Or you can follow us on Twitter at careerplangc. Thanks for listening.